I think one of the things you hear from me often is referring to our life together as a journey, as a journey that brings with it a variety of experiences and connections to and with others. Last week, I talked a bit about reflecting back on some of the ordinary interactions that we have with other people in our lives, interactions that may at first glance not seem like revelations of God, but upon reflection as we look back, things that, or experiences that might just be the most clear ways that God breaks into our lives. And this is how journeys can be. Journeys and journeying with others means being attentive to how our faith and how our experiences of life can shape one another and shape each other. During one of our Advent book studies, the group that was gathered talked briefly about documenting our life journeys, our personal journeys. And this is going to be something of a theme as we start our new year as a church. I shared with that discussion group an exercise that's a relatively simple start to this sort of self-reflection and examination. You start with a blank sheet of paper, blank sheet of paper, and you draw a line down the middle of it, turn it sideways like this usually is how I think is best, draw a line down the middle and put on one side your birthday that you were born, and on the other end of it, today. You can just write the word today. So that's how you start it out, with a simple simple line. And then you start to think about where the significant or memorable events are from your life, and you place them between when you were born and today. Some of you might need a longer sheet of paper uh, or a a fine point pen. Um, But you you can take and, and you can plot those points as either high points or low points, and sometimes there may be some confusion, or you may have a high point and a low point right beside one another, and it can be an interesting way to reflect. And we start to think, well, what are the most memorable moments of my life that, that are worthy of putting on this, on this graph, this life graph? What are the most memorable moments? Would, would those memorable moments initially be more likely found for you on the high points? or on the low points, or, or some combination. And, and again, I wonder if you'd have some conflicted periods where you had both highs and lows. Or where a low, being diagnosed with an illness, enduring a divorce, losing a job, where, where that, that low might have a correlating high that is higher than, than you might have even imagined feeling, right? Finding out that you need no more treatment after the illness. Falling in love again and anew. Obtaining the dream job you never would have found if you weren't looking for a new job in the midst of unemployment or dissatisfaction with your job. These memorable events in our lives, both high and low, they shape us. They shape us and, and they cr- help us to, uh, to understand who we are. They, they create our identity. And we're, in a sense, a collection of all of these experiences on our graph. And even in this moment, in this, in this time that you've been thinking, just in this moment or two since I first asked the question, I wonder if you immediately already started thinking about those memorable moments and wondering what they were and what would have made it onto your, onto your little graph. Some of them might have been coming to you. You might have memories 
kind of flashing through your head a little bit, sorting through and ranking them. Are these things I would put on my graph or not? Would they make it? I struggled myself with answering this question. And in fact, I've done these life graphs at multiple times in my life. And and whenever I do them, I actually kind of come up with some different things. I struggled when I was doing this just this week with this question again. And I often find myself struggling with the questions that I ask you all to, to answer and to think about. I think that's important for you to know because it is important to me. These, these challenging questions that I bring to you all are some of the more difficult questions that we ask in life. And I'm more and more convinced that these are the questions we should be asking, the difficult questions. And this question is a good one for us to answer. I've actually asked a lot of people this question. What are these memorable points in your life? And, and I've found that different people find different types of experiences memorable for them. I remember talking to one friend who is a little bit less linear in answering the question. For her, it was all about smells, smells that were among the most memorable, the smells of holiday traditions, the smells of a loved one's clothes or perfume or home. When asked about the most memorable events in her life, the descriptions she offered with eyes closed and a smile on her face are general descriptions of bread being baked by her mother in the early hours and the scent drifting into every corner of their house. Or the last time she remembered the smell of her grandmother's perfume mixed with the mothball odor seemingly always attached to her clothes. When I asked this question of another friend, he couldn't recount the details. There were no scents, there were no words. But for him, the most memorable thing was the time he found out he would be a father. His whole world was going to change. He was filled with anticipation and fear and apprehension, all at the same time filled with joy. That period of his life, while it felt like a little bit of a fog to him, was so memorable because of those feelings. For me, some of my earliest memories involve family experiences. My most memorable experiences from early in my life were playing in the swimming pool in our backyard or at the ocean with my parents and siblings. I remember that feeling of of sand in a sandwich. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you're at the beach or on the edge of the soda can. Those are memories that are distinct. My most memorable memories or or experiences in middle school were the funerals of my two grandmothers and my great-grandmother all in one summer. I remember little details like the faint recorded Bach organ piece that was being played when I came into the funeral home to see my grandmother, who I loved so much. Every time I hear it, it still takes me back. Each of these memories, these memories on our life graph, Each of them has so many layers. These memorable experiences of our lives, the timeline on the sheet of paper with dots above and below that middle line, and confusing periods of time where we could remember feeling lost and desperate and also feeling joy and satisfaction, the timeline of our lives tells a story of our journey. When we're able to look for it, tells a story not just of our own individual life, though, but also of the ways that God was present with us, never leaving us alone. 
You see, as we talked about around the font with the children, God has claimed us as God's children. You are God's child. You are God's child. You are God's child. What a, what a wonder it is that God, the creator of the universe, and all that is in it would stake the claim on your life. This is what we celebrate at the font. This is what we celebrate at baptism. Listen to these words about baptism in our Presbyterian tradition. Baptism enacts and seals what the word proclaims. God's redeeming grace offered to all people. Baptism is at once God's gift of grace, God's means of grace, and God's call to respond to that grace. Baptism is the bond of unity in Jesus Christ. When we are baptized, we are made one with Christ, with one another, and with the church of every time and place. There's this wonderful mystery in baptism that transcends, that that goes beyond the moment where water meets our skin. It's a mysterious moment where God's claim on our lives is proclaimed, but it's also a recognition that God has been present and will always be present in our lives. And God's role, God's presence in our lives is intricately wound up in our human relationships and in our relationship as a community, as a church, as ones who are seeking to follow together. There's something interesting that happens in our text from from, uh, Acts that I read earlier. And to see it, it's helpful to have a little bit of context surrounding this section of Acts and the early church. Acts is one of the most action-packed, that's funny, I didn't think about that, but it is, (laughs) it's one of the most action-packed books of the New Testament as Luke, who's the writer. So Luke, who wrote Luke's gospel, also wrote Acts. Acts is like a kind of a part two, a continuation of Luke's gospel. And it's one of the most action-packed as Luke attempts to convey all that was happening as this new way, and that's what it was called. It wasn't a religion yet, right? There was no Christianity. It was this, this way that was being formed. And at this point, the birth of what would become Christianity has turned particularly dismal. It's pretty bad. Now, early in Acts, that's when we have Pentecost, when the church is beginning, when the Holy Spirit descends upon the people and they begin to then go out and spread the word about, about Jesus. And it's, it's initially very exciting because it, it, we read that, that they were having their numbers added to every day and it was beautiful and wonderful. They go out and they're joyfully and faithfully praising God, teaching others about Jesus. The movement is growing. But... With the growing movement comes a growing resistance to it. People feeling threatened by the message of Christ, and so the persecution of early Christians begins to escalate. They thought that they had crushed this new movement when they killed Jesus, but that didn't do anything. And then now here we have, here we have them increasing, increasing the persecution. There are great healings happening. There are miracles happening. There are people being overwhelmed with their uh, exposure and their excitement about Jesus, but then the reaction is more persecution, torture, and death. 
Among the most dramatic scenes is the arrest and trial of Stephen, who is then stoned to death because of his proclamations of faith. And so it's right after that, it's right after that, that the followers of Jesus begin to scatter. They run. They're gone. They run from those who were trying to persecute them. And most of them leave Jerusalem, except for the apostles. And so these people are running, but when they're running, it says in Scripture that they're being caught and arrested. But like so many attempts to oppress, there's a surprising impact that happens in the midst of their pain and their fear and the violent upending of their lives, the lives of these earliest followers. They're scattered, and Luke writes that many of them go specifically to the city of Samaria, and they share about Jesus there. And that when they preach to the people in Samaria, the people there listen, and they follow, and they're baptized. Now, Samaritans and Jews did not traditionally or historically for some time get along. Throughout Scripture, we see examples of this. We read about conflict and tension between them, and certainly there's evident a degree of animosity between them. And even though Jesus had used the relationship with the Samaritans to teach about loving others and, and being surprised by people who we might think of as our enemy, there was still definitely a lot of cultural tension, particularly among the Samaritans. And probably among those initial converts, those initial Samaritans who were listening to these Jewish Christians and wanting to to follow them. And, And there was likely some question about whether they would truly be accepted by these Jewish Christians. And so in the middle of this very uh, troubling moment, the persecution of those early Christians, and then this cultural tension between the Jews and the Samaritans, we have this situation where Samaritans who have already been baptized are now visited by these apostles, Peter and John. So they've, they've come from Jerusalem, they've heard the news of what's happening in Samaria, and they go. And Peter and John, in this moment, visit these Samaritans, who, who may have been still a little suspicious, unsure about whether the message of Jesus was truly for them. Were they truly welcomed as part of the good news? And in the midst of their uncertainty, when they're unsure, Peter and John bless them. They lay hands on them. And it says in our text that they received the Holy Spirit. There's something powerful that happens in that, in that moment that goes beyond, those, goes beyond that reception of the Holy Spirit. Because from this moment forward, it becomes it becomes abundantly clear, particularly in Luke's gospel and then in Acts going forward, that the church is a church for all. All people. And all of this, this message, this is a huge message, right? It's a huge message culturally, and it's a huge huge message for the church as the church is going to continue to grow and proceed. They're no longer going to be bound by these cultural limitations, And all of this is happening in the midst of the most difficult time in the birthing of Christianity. The most difficult time when when persecution and adversity seem to be what they are experiencing. All of this in the midst of this adversity and on the heels of a painful past and a long time of painful relationships. 
So when we look at that timeline of our lives, the one we, we plot out on our life graph, where are those times of adversity? The, the times of challenge, the times of pain, the moments of sorrow, the moments of fear, the moments of rejection, where are they? Consider in those moments whether at that time you were experiencing them, you felt God's presence at all. Or whether you were even aware of God's presence. In the, in the moment, it can be hard. It can also be hard to hear that God was with you in the midst of those things. It can be hard because we might question and say, well, why didn't I notice? Why didn't I experience God? But there also might be times in our lives where we feel as though our own actions or choices our sin had, had separated us from God, where, where we had seasons of our lives where we might have said, God, I don't have room for you. Or where we just weren't interested. But you see, God declares. God declares throughout Scripture that even in the face of, of sins, even in the face of our doubts, our desires to be separated, our struggles, the dark shadows of our lives, those valleys, in all of it, God is with us. And in all of it, no matter where we've been, who we've been, what we've done, in all of it, God loves us. You see, God's claim on our lives is a claim, as I say every Sunday, on all of who we are. Friends, this is the good news. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the transforming news of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the God who, when Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection, when it looked as though he was leaving the disciples, this is the God who, who said, no, no, God will remain with you in the form of the Holy Spirit, a guide, an advocate, a representation of God that would be with us and felt by us and experienced by us in our lives. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit a lot in the Presbyterian realm. And I think part of it is that we don't fully understand it. We don't fully understand what the Holy Spirit looks like or how the Holy Spirit works. The Bible doesn't spell it out. The Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of detail, but what the Bible does offer is the assurance and the reassurance that we follow a God who has chosen us, loves us, and who has created us for the purpose of loving God and loving others. And that the Holy Spirit is our guide. The Holy Spirit is with us. This is what we celebrate. This is the celebration of baptism. Every time we celebrate or we perform the sacrament of baptism, we recognize again God's call on our lives, and we recognize that our role as a church is to walk alongside others, to celebrate with others that God has claimed us and that God has called us, that God has, has claimed us and called us beloved children, 
claimed us as ones who are redeemed, claimed us as ones who will never be abandoned or forsaken, claimed us and called us, called us to surround others with love and support and compassion, called us to be agents of God, representatives of Jesus Christ, deliverers of the good news, witnesses of the Holy Spirit. We are claimed and we are called. And here is where we find our challenge as the church. Our challenge is that while God assures all of God's people that they are not alone, I can't help but think that the role of the church is to be part of the way that God's people should never feel alone. The church needs to be the means by which people are not alone. When we look at that timeline of our lives, those difficult times, those low points, the, the transitions in life, the challenges, the times of fear, of loss, of confusion, the times when our stability is uncertain and when we have fear, the times we might feel alone, those are the times, those are particularly the times when the church is called to ensure that people are welcomed, that people are surrounded with love, that people that know that they are the beloved of God and that God has not forgotten them. The, the church does this. The church points people to God when they cannot otherwise see God themselves. The reality is that a lot of people drift away or even run away from the church when life gets difficult. They drift away for many reasons. For some, it's embarrassment. They feel like coming to church, you should have your life all together. Little do they know, right? They want to have their lives together, though. For others, it's that the church doesn't seem to have room for their pain. Leave your grief at the door. We're happy here. It's a happy church. But when you've grown tired of putting on the happy face out in the world, the church should be the place where you can bring all of your experience. For, for other people, it appears that the church, and maybe even God, is silent when it comes to their suffering. But the truth is this. As followers of God gathered as the church, we are indeed called to be a place where people hear the reassurance that they belong to God, that God loves them, that God is with them always, and that they are beloved children of God. We have the opportunity to be the reminder to them that they are never alone. In his book, Being the Beloved, Henry Nouwen, who is one of my favorite authors and pastors, writes about being God's beloved. When I read these words of few days ago, they were hard words to hear. They were hard words for me to hear. They're personal words from God to us, to you, to me. But they're also personal words of God to our strangers, to our enemies, to the people we've never met, the people sitting around us in worship, the people at home, to all people. God speaks these words to us, but if God also speaks these words to the people with whom we are interacting, how then are we called 
to live among those people. Listen to these words. Let them be Christ's words to you today. And may you struggle in your life to believe them for you. I have called you by name from the very beginning. You are mine and I am yours. You are my beloved. On you my favor rests. I have molded you in the depths of the earth and knitted you together in your mother's womb. I have carved you in the palms of my hands and hidden you in the shadow of my embrace. I look at you with infinite tenderness and care for you, with a care more intimate than that of a mother for her child. I have counted every hair on your head and guided you at every step. Wherever you go, I will go with you. And wherever you rest, I keep watch. I will give you food that will satisfy all your hunger and drink that will quench all your thirst. I will not hide my face from you. You know me as your own. And I know you as my own. You belong to me. I am your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your lover, and your spouse, and yes, even your child. Wherever you are, I will be. Nothing will ever separate us. We are one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.